Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. Today we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll start off with the question, what is important? As we think about the Christian life, I want you to ask the question, is that the most important thing? You know, what is the big picture? What are we trying to do? And it is true that we can get so consumed with worrying about little things that we miss the big picture. And I think in Christianity, sometimes that is, that is the case, that we can get caught up. I went, you know, to a church and at a time period where there was a lot of focus on how long your hair was. There was a lot of focus on things that just did not seem like the most important element. So the question is, you know, as we look at this passage, Paul gets down to the basics. What is important? And my prayer today is that with the help of the Holy Spirit, I would, I would communicate to you what is most important about our Christian faith. That when we walk out of here today, that you would say, you know what, this is what I believe, this is why it's important, and this is how it actually makes a difference on Monday morning. You know, a lot of people are going to come to church today, probably not as many as on other Easter's, but praise the Lord, last year we did Easter here alone pretty much. It was just a few of us and we put Easter online in, in most churches now are online, you know, are online and in person, but there's still probably less people in church this Sunday than there were two or three years ago. And as all these people gather and some people come, this will be the only day, you know, this will be one of the few days that people come. So as we begin, I want to pray not just for, for our local church, but I want to pray for all the people who are... Um, who are in church today, maybe they don't typically go to church, and it's an opportunity to hear the gospel. And the prayer is that they would hear what is most important, that they would hear something that is life-changing from God's Word that would make a difference in their life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your Word. Lord, we thank you for, for uh, Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we thank you that you are alive. Lord, I pray that you will just... Uh, Communicate to us through the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that your word would speak to us and that we would walk out of here knowing what is important. And Father, I pray also for the many people in the different churches that are meeting today that your word would be spoken. And we, we join with other churches as part of the universal church, God, and we pray for a great revival. Lord, we pray, pray for a Return to you where people would begin to hunger and thirst for your word and seek change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we ask this question, uh, Paul communicated to the, um, he communicated to the church in uh, Corinthians, and he was talking about what was important. And he says, now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, looking in chapter 15, verse 1, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, 
if you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. Paul tells us three things about the gospel. First, it was preached. God's word was communicated. It was preached. Second, it was received. And third, he said that it saved and supported those who believe. When we give our life to Christ, we are making a decision to follow and obey Christ. And I want you to think about something as we think about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. There's an element, as we look at the life of Christ, that was what Jesus did, what Jesus of Nazareth did. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what was his concern in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was praying. He said, Father, if it's possible, I pray that this cup will be passed from me. But not as I will, but as you will. And then Jesus walked out of the garden. He was arrested. He was tried. He was condemned to death. He was beaten. He was rejected. And he was crucified. And he was buried in the grave. And all of those things, Jesus willfully chose. And you and I, as a follower of Christ, we follow in his footsteps. And when we decide to follow Christ, when we make a decision to be a follower of Christ, we go to the cross. We deny ourselves. We stop living to please ourselves. And we are buried with Christ. We are crucified with Christ on the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. It is a surrender. And when Jesus raised, when Jesus was raised from the dead, when Jesus was buried, Jesus was crucified, Jesus was buried. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God raised Jesus. The Father raised the Son from the dead. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. The Father, working in the Trinity, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And if you and I truly can walk out of here today understanding our Christian faith, here's what we're saying. I come to Christ and I identify with Him on that cross. I identify you know, lead me to the cross. Why are we being led to the cross? Because it's at the cross that we surrender. And there are things in our lives that we can't change. There are things in our lives that we don't want to necessarily do. There are parts of obedience to Christ that are very difficult. You know, for some in the New Testament, it meant when, they, when a person said, I confess Jesus as my Lord, what it meant was that he could be put to death for that faith. He was taking a stand, or she was taking a stand, with a religion that was illegal. They were willing to die for their faith. So it was an absolute and complete surrender. It was a willful giving up of their life as they understood it. And it was God that raised them from the dead. It was God that breathed new life into them. So that when a believer comes to Christ and you give your life to Christ, you really don't know what God is going to ask you to do. You don't know where God's going to ask you to go. You don't know what God's going to ask you to give up. But you're willing. You are so in love with Jesus and you believe what you say you believe to the point that if it means 
you would lay down your life, you will lay down your life for Christ. And it is the trust in God to raise up our lives to serve Him that pictures what Jesus did as our, our example. Now, I'm going to be honest, we fight that. Human nature fights that. We want to control our outcome. We want to control our lives. We want to set the narrative. We want to set the path. But it's in understanding the crucifixion. You know, and I was out there and I was just praying. I was, you know, trying to prepare myself uh, spiritually and mentally to communicate God's word. And I was just listening to the song, uh, Lead Me to the Cross in Practice. And it's like, that's it. You know, I get it. That's it. That's the message. That's what God wants. That's what God wants to say at Easter. You know, that really is the message. And, yet, and there's so much in that statement, lead me to the cross, that we don't understand. I mean, we get so casual with it, we get used to it, where we just say, oh yeah, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand the implications of that? Because there are things that you want to do. There's things that I want to do. You know, I have some plans. You know, you have plans. You know, you have plans for your life. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I'd write down my goals. You know, it was pretty, it was pretty organized. You know, it's like, hey, we're gonna, I want to do this. I want to do that. But coming to Christ, Jesus just picks up the paper and throws it in the trash can. He changes the course. I mean, there are many people who are on the mission field. There are people who are not on the mission field who thought they would be on the mission field. There are people in the pulpit preaching. There's people doing all types of things for Christ who would have never thought they would do these things simply because they said, Lord, not as, not as I will, but as you will. But, you know, when we look at that, the resurrection is the most beautiful part of our Christian faith. The resurrection is so powerful. But if we want to get to the resurrection, the door to the resurrection is through the cross. And we have to lay down our lives for Jesus, for God to resurrect our life through Christ. So what is the gospel? It's just a message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of good news. It's a message from God. Paul says, for I hand it down to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Christ died for our sins. Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. He was the hope of the Jewish people. He's the hope of the world according to the Scripture. God fulfilled all the Scriptures in the Old Testament in sending his son to the world to die on the cross for our sins. And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ was buried, rose from the dead, and fulfilled scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. And that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. James was an unbeliever. James, the half-brother of Jesus, did not believe in Jesus while Jesus was alive. It was after the resurrection that James believed. 
And many people, in looking at how do we know that the resurrection is true, they point to James, someone who wasn't a believer, who, who became a Christian, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, and that's Paul. Paul also was an enemy of Christianity. And for Paul to say, I believe in Christ, is just an incredible thing, seeing that he was an unbeliever. Jesus appeared to Peter, the disciples. He appeared to 500 people at one time. He appeared to James, and he appeared to Paul. And what's the result of that? About 2 billion people in the world who profess to be Christians. From these appearances to people, Christianity has expanded and grown to be in a place that it is now. Although we are persecuted, although we have tremendous op opposition, although our work is not finished. And why are we motivated to do this? Because we want to reach people with the gospel. Because Christ has appeared to us through the scriptures, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we have surrendered our life to Christ, meaning that He died for me, and therefore I will live for Him. And it's not about you know exactly doing everything that I want, because when I pursued that, when, before I knew Christ and I pursued exactly what I wanted, I was nowhere near as full of the joy that I have is pursuing what Christ wants. Because we were made in the image of God. We were created in God's image. And we are God's children. We were created by Him, made by Him. So our purpose and the meaning in our life comes through our relationship with Christ. And if we pursue what we want and, and just walk away from Christ, we don't have the means to be fulfilled. Our fulfillment comes through walking in obedience and walking in unity with Christ. What are the essentials of faith in Christ? What are the basics? What is the important things, the important points of our Christian faith? First, you and I must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if Jesus is the Son of God, then He is our Lord. He is either He's Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we will live for Him. We believe He knows what's best for us. You must believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We live in a world of hurt and pain and brokenness. And you and I struggle with guilt and shame and regret. You know, I've met few people that I've gotten to know who don't have some areas of their life where they have regrets. And my prayer today is that every pain, every regret, every sense of your, your failure as a, as a man or as a woman or as a parent or as a husband or a wife, every failure, every wrong, every regret that you have, that you could deal with that through the cross. That Christ paid the penalty, and God wants you to stop punishing yourself. God wants you to stop blaming yourself. God wants you to stop hating yourself. God wants you to stop looking down upon yourself because you are human and you have weaknesses, and it is through Christ that there is healing and forgiveness, and you can walk away from your past. You know, what does God require? He requires, as a Christian, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As an unbeliever that didn't come into Christ, you simply admit that you're not perfect. But as a believer on your day-to-day walk with Christ, God does not want you living in guilt and shame. And the cross is where that was taken care of. Also, you and I must believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now we're going to look at some of the uh, evidence of Christ's resurrection just so we reinforce what we believe. I know the majority of people in here, you know, as I've surveyed lots of people here in the community over the years and asked them, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yes. Very few people question this, although there would be some who do. The next question is a little more difficult. You must decide to follow and obey Christ. And that's where we're at. How do we follow and obey Christ? How do we become a follower? How do we continue as a follower of Christ? There's really two things that we do. How to become a follower of Christ and how to continue to follow Christ. How to bounce back when you fail Christ and you feel guilty. First, you need to ask God to forgive you for your sins. You know, you come to Christ as a sinner, and you continue in Christ as a repentant person. You continue in Christ as somebody who asks God to forgive you when you, when you make mistakes. We have to admit that we're not perfect. That is almost like a reflex for the Christian. When we become aware of things that are wrong, it affects our relationship with Christ. When something, you know, in a relationship, when something is off, it affects your peace and your your unity with the other person. So when you come to Christ, your peace and your unity with God is broken and you ask God to forgive you. And as you continue as a follower of Christ and as a believer, when you find it difficult to pray, when you find it difficult to be in the Lord's presence, if you will step aside and seek the Lord and ask God to forgive you and to set you free from the guilt and the shame of what's on your mind, then that freedom will set you free to worship God and to continue in your relationship. Next, you need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And every day when you get up as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, when you get up every day, you should acknowledge, you know, I belong to Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior, and I am going to walk with Him and grow in my Christian faith. Now, how do you know that the claims of Christianity are true? Consider the following events that even skeptics even skeptics and believers agree about. This next group of facts are things that if you were to talk to people who study ancient history, ancient first century history, whether they are a believer who's a historian or if they are a skeptic, these are historical events that they consider to be true. That Jesus died by crucifixion. People don't debate this. People believe Jesus died by crucifixion. They also don't debate the fact that crucifixion is pretty effective. 
people believe medically that it would have been impossible, humanly speaking, for someone to survive crucifixion. Especially the extent of the crucifixion of Jesus that we read about in four different Gospels. That although skeptics do not believe that the Bible is inspired, and they don't believe every word of the Bible, they do believe that there is enough coherence in this event, the crucifixion between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to accept it as a historical fact. They don't question that. So when they say that Jesus was crucified, they believe that. Yes, that man was crucified. They also believe that Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea. And that's important because you know, they, we're not talking about a ghost. We're talking about a human. Je- the, the Word became flesh. Jesus, as a man, was crucified. And that crucifixion led to death, which it did for all the other people who were crucified. And we know the extent of crucifixion in the first century because we can dig up archaeologically people who were crucified and see the, the stuff in their hands and their feet. So we know that this went on. It's not debated. People were crucified. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. And his physical body was placed in a tomb. They would have known where it was in the first century. They would have known where Jesus was buried. We also know that women found his tomb empty and his body missing. And why is that so important? Anybody at the first century that wanted to forge a story that would appeal to people would not have chose women as their witnesses. You know, that culture would not have viewed women as... They would have said, have it that Peter or John or a, a man went to the tomb. But they, the Bible, they didn't make up things because they told it as it was. This is what happened. You know, these are the events. So historians believe this because the historians would say in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... If they were trying to forge it, they would have made up different people to be the main heroes and characters. Mary Magdalene's the hero, you know? I've preached on Mary Magdalene some Easter Sundays because she is the hero of the story. She's the one who was the first to see Jesus. If they were making this up, it's unlikely they would have told the story that way. So the women found the tomb empty. They did not find the body. Also, his followers believed and told others that he was risen from the dead. Now, why, why is this so significant? I want you to think about Watergate. Twelve men whose careers would be destroyed, who would go to jail. They have all the incentive in the world to get their story straight. If they were going to lie, they at least could figure it out. They couldn't hold a lie for three days. They couldn't hold a lie. They told on each other. And they went to prison, and their careers were ruined. And you're telling me that the followers of Christ, these 12 men who followed Christ because Judas was replaced by Matthias, you know, these followers of Christ and all of these women and and people who believed in Jesus, that they would have lived their entire life for 40 more years, and not one of them recanted and said, no, we made that stuff up. 
You know, they, they stuck to their story. Why did they stick to it? Because that's what they saw. That's what they believed. And it's such that when people attack Christianity, they have to deal with these four facts. And there are many others that for the sake of time I didn't get into. They have to contend with these. So what do they do? They say, well, maybe Jesus didn't die. Or maybe, um, maybe they all had a hallucination. That's the biggest one that people would say. Now, since we can't deny the empty tomb, we can't deny the missing body, we can't deny all these people who believe they saw Jesus, we can't deny these things, we can't deny that he actually was crucified and buried, so maybe just a bunch of people, just 500 people, just went to bed Saturday night and they woke up on Sunday morning with this hallucination that they believed. And they continued to believe that the rest of their life to the point that some of them were put to death. And so they have that explanation. It's either that or Jesus didn't die. Or they mistaken his identity. They saw someone else and thought it was Jesus. See, after three years of being with this man, eating with this man for three years, they mistaken his identity. That's unlikely. So that's what we're left with. So the best possible explanation for these events is the resurrection. But for us today, it's not a question of the resurrection, but what does the resurrection mean? The most important points of our Christian faith are considered historical fact. His crucifixion, his burial, his empty tomb, and his appearances to his followers. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what is our part? How can the risen Jesus change my life? How can our faith in Christ change our life? The first way is through forgiveness. You know, you and I, we can be destroyed by not being able to forgive ourselves. We can, I've seen this absolutely destroy people who couldn't forgive themselves for their past. Through the risen Christ, you know, think about it. No matter how bad your past is, no matter how bad you feel about your failures, even as a Christian, that there is forgiveness through Christ. That if Jesus could die on the cross and suffer that death on your behalf, and then God could raise him from the dead, Certainly, it is God's will for you to walk out of here today fully convinced that your past and your sins are forgiven, that you are free, and that you have a clean slate, and that in God's eyes, it's as if you never did those things, as far as the east is from the west. Now, I can't promise you that people are going to forgive you. You know, that's human nature. That's human nature. But I encourage you as a follower of Christ, I encourage you to trust Christ for your forgiveness and to let people go and forgive them because God forgave you. I encourage you to just say, you know what? I, I'm, not only am I going to uh, receive God's forgiveness, I'm going to forgive other people. I'm not going to hold people's past against them. The next thing is hope. Without hope, where would we be without hope? 
You know, you and I are going to live and we're going to die unless Jesus returns. Our hope of eternal life. How many of you have loved people who knew the Lord who are not here anymore? I have a father. I have a mother. I have a hope in my Christian faith that I will see my mom again. I have a hope in my Christian faith that I'll see my father again. You have that hope. The hope of eternal life. That's more important than anything. That's more important than a lottery ticket. That's more important to me than the Cincinnati Reds winning the World Series, although that would be a miracle. And it's more important than the Dallas Cowboys winning. That, would be a, that might be a miracle too. We have the hope of eternal life and life with ever with Christ. We have a purpose in our lives. We are inspired by what Christ did for us so that we could live a life of purpose. And we have tremendous love that's been shed abroad in our heart. You know, we have love for other people. The relationships that you and I will make through our Christian faith will be relationships of love where we work together on a common purpose, where we have the hope of eternal life, where we stand before God and we receive His forgiveness. I want to encourage you to just focus on these, these three aspects. I want you to focus on the meaning of his resurrection and just surrender your life to Christ. Whether you're a follower of Christ, you've been a follower of Christ for many years, I want, to, I want you to focus on the cross and your surrender as a, a believer. I want you to focus on the forgiveness that God has given to you and, and just walk in forgiveness towards others. I want you to focus on the hope and the purpose and the love and just surrender your life to Christ knowing that He died for you so that you can live for Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much. Lord, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would just touch each, each one of us today and draw us to the cross. Lord, I pray that you will breathe life into the dead areas of our lives, Lord. Lord, breathe life into despair and discouragement, Lord. Breathe life into hurt and pain. Father God, I pray that we would just surrender ourselves anew to you and that we would consider ourselves dead as unto sin, but alive unto you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just fill us and praise you on this Easter morning, Lord. Thank you that you're risen from the dead, God. And as believers, we surrender our lives to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information additional resources, and service times.